It's November 4th. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, me. Oh, my. And in the words of Il Donald Trumpo, Il Donaldo Trumpo, fake news, fake impeachment, fake insurrection, fake election, fake president, real consequences. And here's where the consequences are to begin in November. You will see them, but they will fight back hard. When I say they will fight back hard, they will fight back hard. But, um, you know, it's all about to happen. And how is this happening? You. Think about it for a second. It's been almost a year since you, tomorrow it'll be a year since you created your state groups. What has happened within that year? Suddenly lawsuits are being filed, stickers are everywhere, banners and b billboards are everywhere, quo warrantos, writs, damn, the shit's really hitting the fan. Guess who did it? You did. Nobody else did it. You did it. You did all of it. I want you to stand and look behind. Look at where you were on November 5th, 2020, and where you are on the eve of November 5th, 2021, look at what you've done now. <laughs> now, obviously, we all know I've been waiting for this OSHA thing. Oh, gosh, there's an ace in my sleeve. And I'll tell you what. I was off my game for a week. I'm still not fully well, but at least the secondary ailment that I had, which was the whole coughing and, and everything from throwing up. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm still not top notch, but I am getting better. But you know, when you're sick and you're struck with like a few things at once, right? Byproduct, of course. 
You can't think clearly. And so this morning, I did a lot of catching up. Yesterday, I did a ton of catching up. Today, I did a lot of catching up in regards to organizing information, doing some special thinking. Special thinking that I did yesterday, but it made no sense. I was like, why was I focusing on this? So it's like around, I don't know, like 2 p.m. I'm still telling people, yeah, I got to get off because I got to get in the shower. Guys, <laughs> that shit didn't happen until about, you know, 30 minutes ago, okay? So I've been like, I got to go. I got to do this. I got to do, do that. Why? It all clicked. It all freaking clicked. I'm like, oh my gosh. Damn. That's genius. And then everything else started falling. And I'm thinking, how did I not think about this? Like, it's all happening, right? And it all just went, you know, like, it's like, like, whoa, just saw that. Whoa, how'd that happen? So it was fantastic. Wait till you see what happens. Uh, it's so good. And I can't talk about it, unfortunately. But I'm just going to tell you, it was one of those things. Damn, I've really been off my game. I was really, really sick. I'm still, you know, trying to recoup. I mean, and my body's still failing me, right? It's, and, and it doesn't help with a bunk liver, right? But, um, you know, <laughs> I was just like, whoa. So I, I wanted to say there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of things happening. Uh, but before anything, I wanted to address something. I, you know, years ago when I, when I started doing radio, I was saying that we have to have uncomfortable conversations. And one thing is, is that God has these uncomfortable callings to us too. Now, many people have read their the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, whatever scripture you may think of, they've read it. And in there, it clearly recommends and it uh, applauds humility and condemns pride, right? Because we're supposed to seek humility, right? And what does humility really mean? <clears throat> to humble oneself? To, uh, uh, what is it that it is? I mean, think about it. What is the real meaning of humility? In fact, let's look it up. Let's look it up. Let me see. Define humility, The quality or condition of being humble. Hmm, that's not much. The act of submission. Submission. Let's see what humble means. Define humble. Marked by meekness or modesty in behavior, attitude or spirit, not arrogant or prideful, showing differential or submissive respect, low in rank, quality or station. Doesn't sound like what humility should mean. Damn. Right? The definitions, damn these definitions, they keep changing them, don't they? What does humility really mean? Well, you don't have to be humble like I'm wearing a potato sack and I know nothing and you know more to people. It's being humble to God and understanding just how powerful he is, how important he is in everything you do, and how in control he is of everything. And, 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 you know, we're one of the biggest proponents, I would say. Well, we're one of the most, I would say, all of us, right, really fight that, don't we? We're just like, man, you're not doing your job right, man. Let me show you. 
God, you got to move this. Look, do it like this. No, 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 no. What do you know, God? You're doing this. You're doing that. <clears throat> and I've said this before. It had to be this way. And I don't say this because I wanted it to be this way. It's because we have a forgiving God. And whatever he does to us, he does because he wants us to learn from it. He wants us to be uncomfortable because in that, to have a humble mind, right? To humble yourself before God. It is something like I've repeated to you guys. There was a time in 2019 that I was like, yep, um, it's over. Like I've been fighting this fight and all I get is more fight. Like, why am I even fighting if I'm going to be devastated in it? And you know, there was two choices. One, take it into my own hands and deal with it, or maybe go super evil or deal with it, like end it there. And I'm not shy about saying that. I mean, anyone in that given position at that time, I don't think anyone would blame me. It would have been the best explanation of why Tori offed herself. And then there was the other one, which is what, you know what? I'm just going to leave it up to you because I can't do this. I, I obviously am not as smart as I thought. I'm obviously not tasked for this. You win. I lose. You gave me all of this and I failed. It's up to you. And I let go. And boy, did he take control. He completely took control because it was a humbling moment, not for, you know, uh, the public eye or what someone would say. You all know, I don't give a shit. What is it? What's that saying? <laughs> Truth is like fire. The more shit you throw at it, the bigger it roars, right? So it wasn't about the people or optics and shit like that. It was me humbling myself to him. Not because I wasn't a humble servant, not because I didn't serve him or serve people or want good or, or, or pushed to do good, but he scorched everything that I thought was true. The only anchor in my life was scorched. And at that point I felt like I was flailing. There was no floor. There was nothing. Therefore, there was a choice. The choice is what they wanted, which is off yourself or the choice where it's like, all right, you know what? I trust you. I really trust you. I'm relinquishing full control to you. And then it's like that song, <coughs> Carrie Underwood. What is it? Jesus take the wheel, right? I was just like, you know, it's on you tomorrow. I know you're going to fix everything for me. I know you're going to make everything happen. I know this is going to happen. I'm making these plans because I know you will have them. You are going to do this because I have been tasked and I haven't failed you. And I trust that guys, I kid you not. Everything changed. The next day, things were completely different. Humbling. Oh man. It's, it's, it's such an experience to have humility toward another, right? But it's an experience when you have humility to him, like legit humility, not like, oh, you know, it's kind of like that skit that um, <coughs> um, Ricky Gervais did, the Bible one, where he's like, you know, oh, let's get into the Bible. And he was like joking around. He's like, okay, chapter one, 
in and he he created everything he's like doesn't go much into detail your mind is this big his is this much so forget it um that's exactly it <clears throat> we can't understand sometimes the way he worked because we can't always stand on the moon and look down to see the bigger picture right where everything just falls into place and it's like click 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 this is why today i want you guys to just stand back Take a look at this year and what you've done, how warp speed it's gone through, but also take a look at what you've done. Everything that has been accomplished is because of you. It is because of you. No one else. It is because of you. No one led you. No one told you. No one did. You did it. You wrote the letters. You put the pressure on. You did this. You did that. You did the stickers. You did the banners at the ball games. You did the, the, the billboards on the water, in the air, on the streets. You did it all. You put the pressure on. You are the news now. You've done this. You did it. Take a look. And how much you've done. The stickers, they're everywhere. The patriotic shit everywhere. You've done that. That's insane, right? You know, there's constant teachings from people, um, <clears throat> you know, telling you how to be humbled, how to humble yourself, how to, you know, praise the Lord, God, whoever your God may be. And the one thing people need to ask themselves, and I urge all of you to do is, if I'm not humble, please have mercy on me when you make me understand how to humble. I think if you preach that to yourself, maybe you'll escape the ultimate test. His biggest soldiers are put through freaking fire. Kind of like, you know, the tea that you all got, you know, the tea you know, with all those texts about Professor Clemens and Seth Keschel and all that, right? You have to think about it and how they were mentioning General Flynn and all that stuff and they were taking pictures. Why did they do that? Why did that happen? They are fighting for the right things. They're doing everything for the right things, but they were tempted. Therefore, they were allowed to get humbled. That doesn't mean that they're any less, you know, patriotic, any less lovable, any less anything, right? So I want you to see how all of us have been humbled in some sense because things weren't done last year at this time as they should have. Therefore, a lot of people have been humbled. And through that humbling process, people will then excel. It's really hard. How many times have you heard, you know, it's over, it, you lost, we won. Think back to early 2020 when I was telling you that the only one that is going to call the elections is the media. That they're going to say it, but Trump will win in the landslide, but they will declare the president as someone else. I told you that. I was trying to warn you without discouraging you because many of you were very new to the truth and skewing away from all that digital bullshit. And the minute people started to listen 
in early 2020, in mid 2020, Shadowgate happened. And then they sent one of their, the devil's biggest agents, which by the way, I have to say, I am so disappointed in Tucker Carlson. His first thing tried to make it look like Ollie was like set up when we have video proving that he literally lied on the documentary. He lied on the documentary. I was there. I followed him. I saw him leave. We have video of them talking at that thing where he said, oh, I stood there to keep people there. No, you fucking didn't. Here's a recorded conversation, which means that they're all covering up for who paid for what. And that's because that same who paid for what paid for a lot of things. And there's no need for me to go and, you know, tell you did it wrong. Fuck if he's going to listen. He thinks he's still important. Tucker, Fox, all of them, they think they're important. They're not. You are. And they'll be humbled too. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but very soon. They'll be humbled just like they were in New Jersey, where our guy literally won with $183 spent on his campaign. We kind of mentioned that yesterday, didn't we? See, because what did I say? We don't need the GOP. We don't need the DNC. We don't need the Libertarian. We don't need anything. Those are MLM schemes. The only endorsement anybody needs is that of the people. That's pretty much it. The people are the endorsement. You think we give a shit what they say on Fox? Fuck no. It's for entertainment now. I love some of the lines that Tucker's producers write. Let's get it straight. I do. I freaking love it. I love some of the lines they write at Newsmax and OAN and CNN even. But we don't need the parties. And guess what? We don't need the fucking media either. It's what we say. If we want this person to be senator, governor, congressman, mayor, city council, school board, we say so. It happens. We don't need them to tell us. We don't need them to tell us anything. Oh, boy, I wish I could tell you what I'm doing. I really wish. And I was thinking, and, and you know what? I mean, let me just hiatus here back to the first thing I said, where it all clicked today. <coughs> it was in September and I knew that there was something that had to be done. So it's like, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's a SCOTUS filing that the people put together, which by the way, I didn't have anything to do with that except for printing and mailing. The people did this, right? No lawyers, the people did it. So I was like, it's not that either. There's, there's something that I'm supposed to be doing and, and I'm not, you know, in the zone. And it's probably because I was being microdosed wherever I am. I stopped going to some local places that I would always go as a creature of habit. You know, a lot of people don't get this, but I really don't like people. And I like my, my, my own space and routine. Right. And that's a problem when you have a target on your back. But I always say God has, you know, my back and he did. Right. He took me out when I needed to, because if he didn't take me out at that time, I, you know, I would have made a mess. I see that now because I would have done something that I shouldn't have done. And now I see it. So there were many things that I was kicking myself in the butt. Like, why did I wait so many months to do this? And why am I not doing this? I mean, I could make time for this. Now it makes sense. So he took me out at the right time. He did a really good job of it. And this is why you should stop fighting him. I mean, come on. 
you know, when he does things, I just have to um, focus, 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 focus. So anyway, having said that, what we need to understand is that even when you read your scriptures, the answer we get when it comes to humility is quite surprising and humbling at the same time. The very first mention of humbling yourself in the Bible is actually in the book of Exodus. And it's in the context that, you know, Egypt, uh, of Egypt, where God had sent Moses to confront Pharaoh and let the people go. And God revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh. And I am the one who is his conventional name. And the Pharaoh comes to Moses and hears from Moses that the God of Israel says, let my people go. Right. And the Pharaoh responds, you know, who's Yahweh? Like, who is that? Why should I obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know Yahweh. I, I'll, I'm not going to let the people go. And 10 terrible plagues follow. As Yahweh answers Pharaoh's question, is Yahweh, Yahweh shows himself. In other words, God shows himself in the rescue of the people by destroying their enemies. So after the seven plagues, right before the eighth one is the Exodus. And in chapter 10, um, verse three, Moses says on God's behalf to the Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? So this power encounter between Yahweh and, and, um, who's the true God and the Pharaoh who purports to be God is about to be humbled. Right. And the Pharaoh will com continue to say how great he is. He continues to say, you know, how important he is um, without listening or obeying to the word that he gave through Moses. But he started to, and humility started to come in. It's actually a virtue in humans. And people embrace that, the the goodness and, and the godliness of God. It's a basic humility that all of us have, but we don't tap into all the time. Um, and this is why the, the story about the encounter of Moses and the Pharaoh about God acted first and he said to the Pharaoh, let the people go. And then he sent the plagues. And then the question came, how long will you, you know, respond? Will you humble yourself before God or will you continue to like say you're, you're the best and whatever and ignore what the living God is saying? And if you humble yourself before him and admit that Yahweh is God and I'm not, you know, then that's the same thing that we're going through today. These politicians are playing God. They are the ones that are telling you we know best. We're killing just a few of you because it's good, right? How many times? Seven plagues, seven plagues. We have to think. We're on three. You're going to be like, plagues? Oh, not so much, but yeah. <laughs> so, it's important that we understand <clears throat> that humbling yourself is going to happen. If it's, if it's a necessity, it's going to happen. And all of us have to humble ourselves at some point. I know a lot of people that Bible thump and hold the Bible like a shield say it. But it's not until you're scorched that you either do it or don't. And those that don't can never get back from that. I'm telling you that telling you that right now. And that is something important. And you know, it, it, it goes down to the perceptions that people have. 
People think that in order to be respected, they have to be like aggressive or they have to like when you, you know, if you shake someone's hand, it can't be limp wristed and shit, right? It's got to be tight and strong, right? That's, that's, that's the going theory, right? The going theory is, you know, if you want to be respected, you must have like a strong, you know, handshake and be firm and strong like ox, right? Or be loud like a lion. But it's unfortunately, it's always the bully that gets the most respect in the schoolyard, right? In school and, you know, at work. The bullies are always the ones that are respected because people fear them. Fear, fear, fear. It's always about fear. And um, that's not how you gain people's respect. You know, the only way to get people to respect you without being a bully is quite simple. Now, you can't force someone, right? You can, you can fear, you can install fear into people or tell them, if you don't this, then watch, you know? And a lot of people will fall in line. But it's not actual respect. You have to be um, aware of your reality. So when someone <coughs> doesn't even align with you and doesn't share your thoughts, like, um, you know, I can have conversations with leftists and not, you know, um, and not trigger them too much because when I see that, um, they don't share what I see, right. Or my beliefs or whatever, um, you can have them understand why you have these ideas. Um, so, even though they're like, no, uh, uh, you know, I believe the vaccine is great. And it's like, yeah, but you know, for me, I don't, yeah, you're just putting in danger. Well, you know, I have a friend that passed away and these kids passed away and, and this has happened. So for me, it's scary. At that point, they understand why you think of something. Therefore, they understand why you have that belief. Therefore, there's an amicable conversation there that they can't fight. You know, you can't, <coughs> you can't fight it. You know, uh, just like people are like, why do you speak about, you know, other religions, you know, and, 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 and Judaism and Islam. And it's like, well, because just because you don't believe the same thing doesn't mean you don't understand why they believe it. And this helps you grow as a person. So if you're a Muslim by understanding the Christian faith, you're a better Muslim. If you're a Christian and you understand the Muslim faith, you're a better Christian because this is how you have real tolerance. And this is how you gain respect of other people by respecting that you understand why they have those beliefs, but you don't believe it, right? I don't care. I don't think that this is a religion, you know, pastafarianism, but someone thinks there's a big pasta monster out in space. That's a God. So, Hey, let me understand your reason. Okay. I still think it's silly, but I get it. So I'm good with that. So this is the key to tolerance. This is how you get people to respect you by being 
actually tolerant by understanding why someone thinks the way they do or has the beliefs that they do. So this is how you make them more open to changing their mind. And I'm telling you this because this is something that you should exercise in your community. When you're met with these crazy, insane people that want you dead because you don't want the vaccine, when you're met with people that think that, um, you know, having no borders is a good way, uh, you can't fight that, right? There's some people that are really far gone and are so evil. And this is where I can't hold tongue because I can see that. But those people that are just brainwashed, the only way you open their mind to conversation and make them actually um, tolerant is by understanding or trying to listen or qualify their beliefs. You know, um, you know, when you're in an argument, you could say, look, I could totally see where you're coming from, right? You've heard that so many times, right? But if you're having a legit conversation, and this is kind of like hijacking, this is like a secret to hijack someone's mind. But when you're speaking with the Karens and you're having these conversations, you have to put it in a sense that you're understanding and you're listening. But you don't have to engage in the full conversation at that point. You leave it open. But you take it to the point where if they don't change their mind, they feel stupid. Um, this is how you can engage in conversations. We have to understand where they come from. I see it all the time. When I see people fighting with each other, right? I'm just like, okay, I know she does this because, you know, there's this background, right? That not a lot of people, so I can totally see why she acts like this. And he does this because he has this background and is totally like this. And I understand it because I get it. I mean, come on, we're all human, right? That's what the going saying is, right? We're all human. So this is what you should tell yourself. When someone across from you fucks up, say we're all human. That's all. And what is the key thing that you humans have? Huh? Primordial sin. So no one is going to be perfect. No one is going to be fantastic. They're always going to be tempted. And their minds can be shaped because there's a term used. The brain is plastic. And it means that there's plasticity in it and it can regrow. There's babies that get uh, born with half a brain or very little of a brain, or they get, you know, in an injury and they lose a piece of their brain, but then it regrows or it's so plastic that it just reforms itself. Well, that is how your thoughts are. They're actually quite plastic, very plastic. And this is what you have to remember that your ideology can be shaped and formed a million times within one day. And that's usually because your base core has been eroded, right? This is why we were all over the place between 2016 and 2020. I would say right before COVID, people were all over the fucking place. You didn't know what to believe. You did not know what to believe. You didn't know if you were coming, going, what was happening. You heard this, you heard that. They're impeaching, they're doing this. They're, they're, they're flipping on this or saying this. And you're just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Everything they're saying seems really wrong. But for some reason, no one's talking about that. And the few people that are talking about it 
are not, you know, um, talking about it right. I'm a little confused. Your gut, your gut, no matter how plastic your brain is, that gut, that independent cluster of neuronal feedback can never fail you. That primitive gut, feel it in my gut. Got butterflies in my stomach. Oh, da da da. Right? Suddenly, everything's working the right way. Everything makes sense. You know, when there's two sides, usually on the political spectrum, people are yelling their points. Oh my gosh, I'm so a victim of it too. You know, people keep hounding, you know, if you're in America and you're an honest person, you get a job, you're educated, right? You know, you can make it. And it's like, well, I don't know. If you're honest and you're hardworking, that's the theme, right? The more you work, the more you have, but... That's not the case because if they don't like how you think or what your idea is, right, then you won't advance. So there is that. I mean, obviously there's a lot of people that are pandering that to the, oh, it's because, you know, the skin color, you know, or, you know, real stuff like people that are in uh, impoverished neighborhoods, like in Cleveland, for example, do you know that East Cleveland that has like very impoverished neighborhoods, which I bravely go through all the time. Um, the one thing I noticed is that they have freaking windmills within their housing. That should be driving them insane with the frequencies. That's number one. But number two, when they're in that neighborhood, they're stuck with schools that suck, stores that suck, healthcare that has the worst cohort levels. We talked about it. Everyone's like, oh my God, I just found out black people get different vaccines than white people from different neighborhoods. And it's like, how many times have we talked about medication cohorts? How many times have we talked about the changes uh, within all of that? Many, many times. So this is this is something that people don't seem to understand that we can shout all these things, but it does happen. So you know, no matter how hard people try to make these points, what they do is when they disagree is they, they try to make the other person look stupid, right? When you disagree, you make the other person look dumb and that's the way it is. We see it. It's, you know, dodgy hits. We're all victim of it and we're all people that do it. Right. But when you have a conversation, you know, you can, sit back and, you know, see that the minute someone has a conversation and attacks, right, their points go downhill. They are not able to articulate. They are not able to um, uh, get things done. They can't get their point across. They're just upset. So then they start shrieking. This is what we see that liberals do because you hit them with facts and then they start to freak out and they're just like, yeah, right. So <coughs> the more you start spitting out vitriol, right, the more downhill the conversation is going to be going. And so, you know, when someone's talking, you think to yourself, damn, that was, that was spiteful. Damn, that's like not good, but you have to just listen. And you'll see that when people respond like that, that is how you lose respect. So it's kind of like the shit that Caitlin Bennett does where she just attacks people and, and, and says, you know, Oh, look at these social justice idiots. 
I'm going to get them and makes them feel dumb and laughs, you know, um, that's not how you get respect. That's not how you get things done. Uh, it's um, how you are able to articulate your conversation, how you can completely engage in the conversation. So conversations, they're, they're actually quite difficult. How do you have them? How do you have a conversation where everything around you, you're in a box, right? You're in a box. I want you to envision our society in a box, in a cube. You're in a cube and this cube, you know, does not exist. And you're just like, wait a minute, what? But you see a cube because the media is telling you it's a cube. Your mom's telling you it's a cube. Your school's telling you it's a cube. Your doctor's telling you it's a cube. Your neighbor's telling you it's a cube. So obviously you see a cube, but you know there's no cube. How do you have that conversation with someone when all they do is see a cube? How do you tell them that there is none? How do you tell them that there is no cube, even though that is all they're being told, so therefore they see that? The only way you have that conversation is by gaining their respect, regardless if they think that you're wrong. And you start making the arguments of, hey, let's walk over to the wall and see if there's a cube. Oh, no, no, no. That's the end of the cube. We can't touch that. Well, okay. I see where you're coming from. But this is why I think that, um, you know, there's no cube. Because if I go and touch it, I think it might not be there. Let's go check. And they'll say no. And with love and affection and empathy, you get the conversation going. Why, Tori? Well, because we're going to need to have a lot of these conversations come December time when a lot of people may be struggling. Come January time, just the beginning, because it, this is where it is. When I had my life shattered, I had choices. One, I can off myself because it's irreparable. Two, I could be like, all right, you win. I'm going to do your bidding. I'm going to fuck the whole world. I'm going to use all these and I'm going to work for you and just get it done. Or just relinquish myself to God, right? Just say, okay, it's got to be good. I'm going to shed that, right? So when we're under pressure, people make really weird decisions. And usually the ones that offer instant gratification are the ones we choose. A lot of people now are just taking the jab because fuck it. It's just a jab. I'm going to take it, right? Or fuck it. It's just this. I'm just going to comply. Fuck it. I don't want to go down there and start shouting and doing things. Somebody else will go do it. I can't. We can't win. They're just way too big. Fuck it. That's what we're going to come against. You will have the option for instant gratification. You need to hold the line. You will have the option of being allowed to go and shop into a store, but others won't. You will have that option. I'm going to tell you what else. All these kids that are getting vaccinated now, placebo. Oh, look at these nut bags. They thought it was bad. <laughs> so then all the kids start coming up and that's it. You think that's a joke? There was a study done about women and infertility. 
And it turns out as they did this study, they noticed one thing, that in Israel, they didn't have an impact on um, infertility. Do you know why? Because only in Israel continues to enjoy relatively high fertility rates, despite the high percentage of vaccinated women. Why? Because Israel is Pfizer's laboratory state. And that it must have been given a high percentage of placebo recipients to test the vaccine. So all these other nations have a lowering rate in fertility, but the laboratory state position gave them more placebos there. Now, this isn't like an anti-Semitic thing, because if it was in Germany, they would have done the same thing. So... This is a real study. These are real things happening to real people with real consequences. So what you're about to see with the placebo is a coax to the parents. I saw a segment on CNN. I was going to play it, but I, it made my heart hurt that they use these children to go get vaccinated on TV when they're not even really getting a vaccine. So then you have to think to yourself, think again, think again. Why then would they be giving placebos to certain children, certain people, but not to others? Oh, going back to the cohorts where I talked about for my over 65 and all these flu shots, why I got fired. This is years back. This isn't during COVID time. I was talking about this shit way before it. Unfortunately, the Tory said.com, you know, site doesn't always pull all the, you know, the right words because it's automated, but I talked about it. You want to do a FOIA? Ask the NIH to give you information about their cohorts for the flu vaccine for 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, and see what percentage and what things they were putting in those vaccines. It's important. This is how they test drugs. They're going to go to the more impoverished places where all the poor people are and give them the highest dose to check it. Toxicity levels. Let's check. To our rich and powerful that fund us, we're going to give them a placebo. See? So you have to ask yourself, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. So then why didn't they put all the placebos first with the COVID vaccine? That's because everybody was asking for it. So they had it. I mean, the people were the experiment. I think in August, I walked you through and showed you the placebo locations in Cleveland and those that were not. We walked through it. I can't go over it again because people missed it. They have to listen to it. I showed you where the website was. I showed you how they did it. I showed you and I told you that your kids are going to be getting vaccines as of January. Did I not? Because it was there. It clearly said it. But see, the people don't read. And then the media is like, oh, my God, they're going to do it to kids. And it's like, fuck you. It was in the paperwork. That's why the name was approved because they did that deal. And then they're coming for the babies and their goal is to start having that conversation in the fall of 2022. We already talked about it. So when people come at you with like, oh, this is breaking news. It's not fucking breaking news. It's already documented. Stop creating drama when there's no drama. Stop talking smack when there's nothing to talk about because this is already a conversation that should have been had. 
This is why I get upset. This is why I get really upset. Because when we're supposed to have these conversations, we're not having them. It's reactive media. All your news outlets, all your digital red string motherfuckers out there, excuse my French because it gets me so pissed, are reactive. They're not proactive. They're not educating people. They're not doing anything. I was talking about Venezuela before anyone was even remotely thinking about Venezuela. Oh, it came up. And it's like, it's not really news because it's public knowledge. If you actually read the fucking EOs, you'd already know that we hindered all their money. They hated Trump so bad, so bad. And then you have these losers talking about Nassara, Gisara. We're going to do this. Oh, my God. And I know who Q is. You fucking don't. Excuse my French again. I'm a little bit irate. I also told you, if you remember, that Joe Biden was wearing um, a contact lens, a specific one, uh, during his debates. Do you remember that? I think we talked about it. And I told you that he had like some, we had a whole conversation. It was the Cleveland debates, if I'm not mistaken. I, uh, I don't remember. I digress. Do you guys remember which, which debate it was that he was talking? And I said he had that contact lens. It was a specific one because I used to wear those contact lenses. FYI, these have been exist in existence for a very, very long time. You just don't have them. But, you know, having said that, you know, remember that was like 2020, right? Here's a video from 2021. You should watch this video and see what this, uh, oh, oh, by the way, it's the same company that did the whole, um, uh, you know, the <sighs> same one I talked about before, Mojo. So I want you guys to watch this video. Um, and for those of you listening, just listen carefully. It's quite fascinating what you're gonna what you're gonna hear. Technology promises to keep us more connected. Promises to keep us more connected. But in surrounding ourselves with screens and devices, it feels as though we've lost something. Imagine if we could replace our screens with something that informs without distraction. Could we see differently, more clearly? Could it help us find that invisible edge when we need it most? Or allow us to connect in crucial moments, providing vital information in an instant? Introducing Mojo Lens, the world's first augmented reality smart contact lens. Put Mojo Lens on in the morning and throughout your day, you will have access to timely information without losing focus on the world around you. Mojo Lens is designed not to bombard you with data, but to elevate your vision by providing the information you need exactly when it's needed, all while letting you look like yourself. When it's not in use, the technology just fades away. We call this concept invisible computing. Mojo's invisible computing solution will be a platform that gives you everyday superpowers and an invisible edge throughout your day. But before it does any of that, it first has to be a great contact lens that improves your natural vision even when it's off. Mojo Lens built-in display will give you augmented reality wherever you look. It even works with your eyes closed, putting you into an instant VR world. The applications are nearly limitless, from being able to see in the dark or low light situations, to augmenting your memory with instant information showing you real-time translations, or giving you a virtual teleprompter. One of our first medical applications is using AR overlays like edge detection and contrast enhancements to help people with vision impairments such as glaucoma and macular degeneration. Building the world's first AR contact lens is a systems engineering problem, and therefore we've had to innovate in many different areas. The Mojo lens includes thin film, biosafe batteries to power the system as well as motion sensors to enable the world's most accurate eye tracking. 
We've also developed an extremely low power image sensor that's used for computer vision and scene detection. But at the heart of the Mojo lens is the world's smallest and densest dynamic display. With this, we can display crisp text, photos, and video in a package that's less than half a millimeter in diameter. We are often asked, how do you control Mojo Lens? And the answer is with your eyes. It turns out that your eye is an extremely accurate pointing device. With our built-in eye tracking in each lens, we believe we've unlocked the ultimate hands-free user interface. I like to say, if it doesn't break the laws of physics, then it's possible. And proving that something like Mojo Lens is possible motivates us each and every day to invent the future. Ultimately, we believe that we can help people achieve their potential without sacrificing their humanity. That's the promise of invisible computing. Thank you very much for your time today. Eyes up. So I talked about Mojo before on my show uh, in another capacity. Now I've worn these um, years ago um, for two um, internships. So I can tell you that they their work is stellar um, in regards to if you have facial recognition software that's on the ready, um, you can actually get a lot of information done. Um, for me, it was more um, identifying objects and people um, and um, having information if I was being asked questions that I didn't know the answer to. So uh, that's how I had um, come across them. Obviously, I would um, pick a brown color, of course, because uh, this is the most blendable one. I remember I was always in the shadows. And it's because we're in something like the Hotel California. All right? Uh, you can check in, but you can't check out, right? Well, that's what they tell you. That doesn't mean it's true, okay? Because we can always check out. You just got to say the right words. So let's take a quick break and I'll be right back. On a dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair, warm smell of colitas, rising up through the air, up ahead in the distance. I saw a shimmering light My head grew heavy and my sight grew dim I had to stop for the night There she stood in the doorway I heard the mission bell I was thinking to myself this could be heaven or this could be hell Then she lit up the candle Showed me the way There were voices down the corridor Heard them say Welcome to the hotel, California such a lovely place, such a lovely face. Plenty of room at the hotel, California. Any time of year, 
You can find it here. Her mind is Tiffany twisted. She's got that Mercedes Benz. She got a lot of pretty, pretty boys. She calls friends. How they dance in the courtyard. Sweet summer sweat. Some dance to remember. Some dance to forget. So I called up the captain. Please bring me my wine. He said, "We haven't had that spirit here since 1969." Still, those voices are calling from far away. Wake you up in the middle of the night. Just to hear them say, "Welcome to the Hotel California." Such a lovely place. Such a lovely face. They're living it up at the Hotel California. What a nice surprise! Bring your alibis—mirrors on the ceiling, pink champagne on ice. We are all just prisoners here of our own device. And in the masters' chambers, they gathered for a feast. They stab it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast. Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. Had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax at the nightmare. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place. Such a lovely face. They're living it up at the Hotel California. What a nice surprise! Bring your alibis. So that that is. The best, I think, rendition of the Hotel California that I've heard in a very long time. Now, let's talk about some stuff that's been going around.、Um, I don't know where to start. I guess there's a few little things that we need to talk about, but we could talk about something super awesome.
So I can't do polls. So I'll just ask and look at the chat because I only have Facebook and Twitch. So it's kind of easy to see all the chat. I want you guys to think back to um, internships and banks that I've worked for. Uh, that I've talked about 2018, 2019, 2020, right? 2017, you've seen me tweet and stuff like that. So I've told you guys about HSBC. Yeah. Have I, have I, I've talked about my HSBC connections, how long I've written about them too, right? Deutsche Bank. That's another one. Which other one was I an intern for, for about nine months and almost got made? Do you guys remember which one that I was working at in London? UBS. There we go. So I wanted to show something just so people understand. Oh dear. Let's look at this. This little graphic that Patrick Byrne just put out. Who owns Dominion? Let's go. Let's take a look. Shit. Looks like Tori's been on this for a long time. Fuck. Well, okay. The So there's a little graphic that shows Dominion voting systems all the way in the middle. Right? Right? All the way in the middle. And as you can see, HSBC Canada and HSBC London, which is Hong Kong Bank, I'm just making it clear, right? Own 18 patents as collateral. Then we have Staple Street Capital, Carlisle Groups, uh, Cerberus, but there's more on top of those, okay? At the top of those, there's more, but mm, I digress. But then we have this other bank. UBS AG, Swiss Bank, owns 51% of UBS Security Beijing since 12-1-2018. Well, oh shit. Oh dear. British Bank is HSBC. It's not br so much British. Oh, I mean, the Queen owns almost everything. But the <coughs> but UBS, remember, I nine months I worked there as an intern. It's just so weird that I, and it's not just Dominion. Now we're talking about Dominion. You could have had Sequoia there, right? You could have had any other, yeah, right there. But you know what's missing from this portion? The U.S. government. There's like a little missing portion here that's so weird. Um, so freaking weird. It is so weird. You know, and, and, and Lieutenant Scott Bennett, huh, he wrote a book about UBS, right? You know, I'm just saying, uh, just pointing some stuff out. So here it says three of the four board members from UBS Securities in New York City were Chinese nationals. One Ye Hing was on the board of UBS Securities Beijing. Twelve of 15 board members resigned a day before Lynn Wood's tweets came out early December 2020. As of December 2021, none of the top brass at UBS Securities New York City have Chinese sounding names. I want to huff and puff. Can we see this? Are we, are we, I just wanted to point this out. You know? Right? Right? I mean, Lieutenant Scott Bennett wrote about UBS. I work for UBS. I've been talking about UBS. I also told you about how I was there when they created the first China investment fund, Asia fund, right? With Deutsche Bank that was being ushered by UBS. Shut the fuck door, right? Stop, stop, stop. This I did years before, 
this election. Years before. Years. So now it's all coming to now. So the question again is conversation. Conversations. HSBC, UBS, all in the middle. But, you know, there's so much lackluster on this, <laughs> you know. Did you know that there's this group called the Damazian Group? Stop. I think they're called Ultratech now. Uh -huh. Maybe I should subpoena them in my Dominion case. <laughs> See, do you know when I was at UPS? Just so you guys know. Do you know? I said it was a long time. You know what? I'm not even going to state it. So all of you remembered HSBC and UBS. Obviously, there's more that I've written about. Not that I interned or helped interns bring them down. Ultratech. I think they're based out of Delaware now and they have like super federal contracts. That's so weird because that's the new name of Brennan's company, Global Security or Global Group or Security Global Group, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I'm just pointing out these really odd coincidences, you know. Staple Street Capital, yeah, it's a big deal. Carlisle Group, yeah, Cerberus, yeah. Well, there's more on top of that. And Dominion Systems. Just like vaccines, the U.S. owns all the freaking rights to a lot of these things. So weird, so weird, so weird, so weird. So weird, so weird, so weird, so weird. Now... For all of you trying to pull the whole Everett Stern shit, and let me be clear, right? He didn't whistleblow shit at HSBC. I just had a mouthy fucking intern talk to him. And he tried to use that to go back to CIA recruiter, like he said himself, to say, see, I'd be great for the CIA. You guys fucked up. Look at what I'm blowing up. And it's like, dude, you just blew my whole operation. Thanks. Thanks. But that's great because now they don't know it was me pointing the shit out. Just saying, because it took a lot of work. It took a lot of work to eat lunch so many times. Cause I was always tiny, right? <laughs> it took a lot of work to sit down and get a salad every single time at a different place and look kind of different so that I could tap the interns and be like, Oh, Hey, yeah. Oh my gosh. And you know, a bunch of them were lesbians. So that was pretty easy for me. But it was like, yo, hey, you know, oh, you're, yeah, you're like, oh my gosh, you just got hired for this. Yeah, we're supposed to do honors, but I just like, everything looks so pristine. And I was like, oh, you know, if I were you, I'd totally look here or I'd totally look there or I'd totally look there. And oh, then next thing you know, Comey, who sits on the board, gets fucked. But, you know, some of these mouthy interns wanted to impress this guy and said something. And so he was like, Oh, you just give me all the information and I'll expose it. And it's like, ding, 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 ding. So I just, <laughs> I just wanted to say, I was so excited to see this out. I'm like, damn, about time somebody talked about that. I thought we just have to wait till I go to court. So weird. So weird. All this foreign influence. Fuck. Right. 
The fact that foreigners own 18 patents as collateral. <laughs> I thought I'd have to like put that out in my lawsuit. So freaking weird. So weird. So I just thought I'd start with that because that was kind of funny, right? Kind of super funny to see. Super funny. So I thought that before, oh, well, we'll end with something really cool. How's that? I wanted to go to one of my favorite sheriffs. You guys know Sheriff Grady Judd, right? In Florida, the one that has the pictures that he was like, here's a peaceful protest. Here's a riot. Here's a peaceful protest. Here's a riot, right? Well, he had a, <laughs> I totally freaking love this guy. Like, I want him to be my sheriff. Like, why can't all the sheriffs be like this guy? Seriously. Seriously. Why can't all the sheriffs be like Sheriff Grady? Okay. Here's what he did and announced today. Take a listen. Police Department, Chief Garcia from the Lakeland Police Department, and he will also speak in a few minutes. We have with us Samantha, Samantha from Salaya Freedom. We have Sarah from Children's Home Society. And, of course, we have Dr. Marianne from One More Child. Dr. Marianne and I speak to you often because a top priority in this community is protecting victims, whether they be children or adults. And this was a human trafficking operation. My, our team of deputies and police officers in just a very few days, a very few days, arrested 102 people. Now, I'm going to go through what I think are some of the more interesting ones, and then we're going to hear from our other speakers, and then we'll take questions after that. But first and foremost, we celebrate the fact that we believe we've identified three victims of human trafficking. Sometimes we do investigations, and try as we may, we cannot identify our victims of human trafficking. And they're some of the most difficult victims to work with. And that's why we bring in the experts that are here with us today. Because the moment we arrest someone or take someone into custody that came here to, to perform sexual conduct for money, we don't treat them initially as a suspect of a crime we treat them as a potential victim of human trafficking. So they are immediately counseled by our experts and you'll hear from them in just a minute. We are pleased. This is a Hispanic female. <clears throat> She's 17 years of age. And let me tell you a little history on her. Back in 2019, when she was only 15 years old, she met her trafficker in another country. This trafficker, she and her mother thought were her friends. They were all just moving around the different countries. May the 2021, our victim of human trafficking with her mother came here from Colombia via Mexico. The mom entered the country illegally. And that's important to understand. The mom entered the country illegally and she was met in the United States by the trafficker who she had originally met in the Dominican Republic or Guatemala. 
So we highly suspect that the victim's mom may also be involved or a victim of human trafficking. We know this deal was set up by her trafficker. He's not in custody. He's under investigation. And I can assure you that we're going to do our best to locate him. Now, she came to the undercover site to perform sex for $230, and she was only 17 years old. So, as I said, immediately, we turned this child over to our experts, and you'll hear more in a minute. She, the 17-year-old said, well, I thought he was my friend. Well, he was her pimp, and he was trafficking her. So then we found two more human trafficking victims who were only 20 years of age. One of them was from Utah. The other one was from Mexico. They were 20 years of age. The, the young lady from Mexico is here illegally. And she came here with the lady from Utah to engage in sex for $550. She was, this was set up by a pimp for this deal to occur. They don't have any previous criminal history. They're young girls, but they're being taken advantage of by these pimps. Ladies and gentlemen, what's scary about this is we suspect many more of these young ladies are also victims of human trafficking, but they would not work with us. They would not admit that they were victims of human trafficking. So as a result, we weren't able to even get to the first step with them. These three, we celebrate because we were able to get to the first step. So if we'd only made three arrests in the entire week from all of the resources we put together, we would have been celebrating today. But there's much more to look at. As you know, I always explain to you so you get an idea about about what's really happening in these operations. And here's Idris Karik. He's 32 years of age. He's from Bosnia. He is an adult protective investigator for DCF in Pinellas County. Oh, by the way, I understand he's in the process of being terminated. Do you understand what I just said to you? He investigates adult exploitation. He investigates abuse and fraud against the elderly on the other end of the age spectrum from what he was actually doing himself. He's a bad man. He needs to be out of the system, and he needs to be in jail, and that's where he is. Now, get this. In order to get away from his wife, he agreed to take the kids to karate, and then, oh, by the way, I'll take them to their mother-in-law's, so he was having to work in excuses so he could get away from Pinellas County and zip over to Polk County in order to do the nasty deed for which he was arrested. Then there's Alicia Tucker. She's 36. She's from Orlando. She was in possession of cocaine. She had an outstanding warrant for trafficking in oxycodone. She's got a long criminal history. She has 
52 prior criminal charges and or arrest. Did you hear me? 52. And she's only 36 years old. She's been arrested seven times in Orange County in the Orlando area for prostitution. She's a slow learner. Nothing we've done in the criminal justice system has stopped her criminal conduct. I suggest it's time she go to state prison. That may be a novel thought if you're from Orange County, but this is Polk County, and we lock you up for doing bad things. And then there's Frances Hall. Frances Hall is a specialist. You see, she's in the kinky sex. She brings like a bag full of all kinds of things that we're not going to talk about. We're not going to show you, but she's like the wild deal here. She showed up to be a dominant in a dominant submissive event. She was charging $175. Well, newsflash, she got arrested. She claims her real job is data entry. We're not going to let her enter data at the jail, but her data was entered at the jail. This lady will get you in trouble fast. Then there's Shelby Adkinson. He's 49. He's from Hickory Street in Lakeland. He showed up on his birthday and was bragging that it's his birthday. Well, happy birthday, Shelby. How did that work for you? Well, we gave him a birthday gift. We gave him a nice set of handcuffs. And then we gave him a special meal at the jail. And then we gave him free room and board, all for his birthday. And when our undercovers negotiated the price with him, because it was his birthday, we offered him a $10 discount. Now, he certainly had a birthday that he'll remember forever. But there's more to the story. He uh, has a long criminal history. He's got 30 previous charges from California. Well, Shelby, I suggest you pack up and go back to California. You know, they're not so tough on that stuff out there. In fact, I don't think California is tough on him. much of anything. Love so him. go back to California. Obviously, you didn't learn out there in the criminal justice system. We're going to give you a new found lesson here in the state of Florida. He's, by the way, employed as a handyman. They didn't say what kind of handyman. But I highly suggest you don't hire this guy. Then there's Carlos Linanos. He's 30. He lives in Lakeland. He works for Purina Cattle Chow. Or he actually blends vitamins into cattle food. Well, I guess that didn't occupy enough of his time, so he decided he'd have a half hour of sex for $75. It didn't work out that way. But do you know why he said he did that? Are you ready? You know, you can't make this stuff up. He's upset with his wife. So he decided to have sex to get back at her. That's right. He's married. He's mad with his wife. You know, I just don't believe at a marriage counseling session 
that they would have suggested that to Carlos in order to make things better at home. But anyway, he was arrested. Newsflash, it's not his first time. In 2019, in a similar operation to this, the same undercover detective who works for LPD caught him last time. That's right. He still hadn't paid off his $6,400 in fines, but he did have them worked down to $1,300 before he got arrested again. So, you know, he's already paid a ton for that sex, and now we've caught him again. So it is our prayer that the upon conviction, they'll give him some time in the county jail and another $5,000 fine plus court cost. I suggest that his wife married a real loser. Then there's Antonio Young. He's 47. He works for the city of Lake Wells as a groundskeeper. He came all the way to the undercover location in Lakeland for sex, and he was carrying a firearm. But he does have a concealed weapons permit. He was not a convicted felon. This is a misdemeanor arrest. He showed up with $100, even though we told him it was $125. Antonio, you still owe us $25 for your non-sex event. He's on his way to jail or in jail. Maybe he's bonded out by now. Then there's Eric Hawkins, 43. So, you know what? This sheriff, he's just like someone should, he should have his own show perping everyone. Now you're going to be like, okay, these are guys that go to prostitutes. I know a lot of people that use prostitutes, but here's the thing. It's the type of prostitutes they use, where they come from, from these sex rings. Because what people don't seem to understand that conservatorship um, is uh, consensual and non-consensual. And I think, uh, you know, when everyone was like, why the fuck are you talking about Britney Spears? You remember that? It's like Britney Spears. And I was like, oh, man, she's the tip of the iceberg. And I was really happy to see that Liz Crokin has her mojo um, in uh, putting together Slave Princess. And that is just incredible um, how it's organized crime. You know, I mean... Aunt Tori, shut up about Britney Spears, you stupid twit. You know how many of those messages I got? Stupid twit with your Britney Spears bullshit. And even a lot of you said it. Why are we watching this? Why are we? And I said, oh, well, it's going to be important soon. It's going to be important soon because she's just the tip of the iceberg. You remember that, right? Right. You know, you're going to see they may be coming out with Hunter Biden, too. Right. But no, no, no. And I talked about Free Britney on my Twitter years ago. I would tweet Free Britney because it was very important. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you know, Tori's so stupid. She's crazy. No, huh. smart people look crazy to stupid people. Okay? That's the way it is. And I told you how important this is. So Liz Crokin put together a... Um, uh, docu called Slave Princess. I'm going to play some for you. It's at slaveprincess.com. 
Um, I absolutely love her work. I love this woman. She has been through hell and back, um, both um, in, in all her life. She has been forged in not super fire, but some fire. She, you know, she's refining. And this was uh, pretty interesting to see. Because, like I said, this is going to be one of the most um, important things uh, that will come out. Because this isn't a joke. This happens everywhere. And it's not just superstars. It's trafficking. This is why it's important to see it. See these Johns that go and pay 75 bucks. That's really cheap, man. That's not even dinner and drinks today, okay? Let's just say. Right. It's not even dinner and drinks, but it's not about the Johns doing it. It's about the Johns contacting them. You get them arrested. You see their phone. You can see all the pimps and then you can name more. Just saying. Here we go. Let's let's watch this. who has been forced to perform since as long as she could walk. She would love for new eyes to see her situation, but if she brings it up, she's constantly threatened that the conservators will take her kids away. There's a little conspiracy going around that Britney Spears is being held against her will. Maybe she is needing a conservatorship and maybe her dad is helping and these conspiracy theories are getting out of control. That idea that Britney is a puppet who just gets moved around and told what to do is incredibly inaccurate. It seems obvious that both Jamie and Lynn want her to get better. The conservatorship is in place to keep her healthy. Raising children, doing all these tours, doing all these concerts. Someone who needs conservatorship is mentally incapacitated, and she has proven to do the opposite. People manipulate young women, they manipulate kids. It's dark and demonic energy that this industry was built on. Making anyone work against their will, taking all their possessions away, credit card, cash, phone, passport. The only similar thing to this is called sex trafficking. trafficking, trafficking. people into my life that were that were just bad people but I was very guarded at first but then I went to a point where I ended up letting them in because I was lonely or whatever the fact and I really paid the consequences for that so yeah I would highly recommend watching slave princess at slaveprincess.com um this is really important um, a lot of women, uh, there's a few women that get into, um, sex work because they like sex, right? They're independent. They don't have pimps and they just like to have sex and maybe they're good at it. Maybe, you know, they're anatomically to the point that they just love it. Right? No, no fail. Look, if you like it and you choose it, fair enough. Right? But a lot of people they get into that business are put into that business um, without wanting to be in it.
So when I was younger, right, um, I would watch porn. I know a lot of people don't admit to it. I, I have no sh shame on it. I'm just like everyone else. I tried all drugs except for opioids. I've done everything you can imagine. And, um, the, you know, the cheeky, funky ones, you know, where it was like bomb chicka wow, right? The really cringy one. I would watch them and laugh, seriously. And um, I had a friend that uh, owned uh, strip joints and um, uh, he only had girls that loved to dance and he made a crap ton of money. But his thing was like, nope, they just dance. They're not allowed to hook up with the Johns, blah, 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 right? And it wasn't until, um, I guess that was that one time that I saw like regular porn on the internet, not like the, you know, the seventies films where they have like a story, the naughty teacher and stuff like that. Right. It was like one of those, you know, weird ones where it's like, yeah, let's get busy. And the girls look like they were not comfortable, right? Not comfortable. And it, I couldn't watch ever again. It was like, I, I, I kid you not, it was like one minute into the scene. And, and when I say watch porn, don't get me wrong, it's not like one of those sticky keyboard moments where I'm watching it like, oh yeah, to get off, right? It was more like the, the funny ones, right? You're like, oh my God. But then when the sex happened, everyone would start conversation and just ignore that part because the story's over when they start getting it on. And then it comes to the, to, <laughs> funny word, uh, to the end of the, 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 the movie that you just don't want to watch with your friends while you guys are having a drink or, you know, having conversation. So, um, but there was this one time and we were like, oh my gosh, let's just find something really cringy to watch. And we we're like, yeah, let's find some really messed up story like plumber and I need my pipes cleaned or something. Right. And so we were like looking. Um, so it was like four of us and we were like, yeah, let's just find something super cringy. And they were like, we could go on the internet. I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, people like upload a bunch of stuff. Guys, <coughs> my heart dropped because I realized just from her face. I was like, turn that shit off. And they were like, what? And I was like, I couldn't believe that they couldn't see what I saw. They weren't enjoying it. The other people were like totally into it. I'm the bad teacher. Look at me with my glasses and I'm getting it on with a student that definitely doesn't look young, right? Definitely an old guy, but whatever, you know, it wasn't fun. It wasn't like, you know, um, like a story, like they're acting, right? It was like not good. And it was like, Two minutes into it, where I'm like, okay, so where's the story starting? And then, you know, she looked really uncomfortable. And I was like, turn it off. I couldn't watch it again because I saw a side of it that I hadn't seen. And it was, you know, you could tell that the girl was high. You could tell that she was scared because she was like, oh, and pushing away. And it totally had another sense of it. And I was like, how did I not see this? Where uh, probably because I was watching stuff from the seventies and from the sixties, you know, where the girls were all modest, but they were like the biggest sluts behind closed doors, you know, those stories. Right. But it was really bad. And then there was, um, <coughs> operations that I had seen in, um, Europe and in the U S with brothels and senators and congressmen. <laughs> like I said, if anybody needed dirt, they could just ding, 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 Tori. Hey. So, um, in those situations, the majority of them are there not because they want to, 
And that is trafficking too. They could be 30 and be stuck in that situation because they take their identification. They have no money to eat. They're like, bitch, you're going out on the street. Hey, you didn't turn in as many tricks. Hey, this. And they take their money. So they're basically saying, you take this John, you make 20 bucks. I make 150. And it's like, not fair. This is the woman there. But they have to keep doing it, apparently, in their mind, because it's the only way that they can. They're, they're literally enslaved by the industry. So I would say that, uh, fair enough, I would totally say that 90% of the people in that industry are actually prisoners. There's, you know, that 10% that really likes to have sex. Hey, <laughs> that would really like to have sex. I remember the first time I went to the red light district um, in Amsterdam. Uh, with a bunch of, um, you know, uniformed people and they went out, we had drinks and they were like, Oh, we're going to go hit up the red light district. And I remember the first time I went there and I was browsing through the shops. That's what they're called where they have window fronts and they had like, you know, themes and stuff. So it was like, one was like this. I went to the dentist chair one just to see, like, I didn't do anything. I just wanted to see. So I paid guilders. There weren't euros at the time and, and went and I, totally sat there. I was like, so what do you do? We had a conversation and I asked her, do you like, she's like, fuck yeah, I like it. I own this window. This is mine. And I rent it out to other people. She freaking loves it. And I was like, well, do the other people like what they do? Or are you like forced to do it? And you know, um, she, she was, she was all for it. She's like, no, I just like sex. I'll do this as long as you know, I can. And then I'm saving money and I make a lot of money from this. So they have like window fronts where you like pick the theme and the chick and they're like, Hey, and you're just like, Oh yeah, that one. And it was 150 guilders. <laughs> and I sat there for 30, 30 minutes on the dentist chair, which probably a ton of people had been on before just having a conversation with this woman, just cause I was curious. And also because I didn't want to see things that the other guys were doing, you know, and not, you know, and just, I just wanted to just like get away rather than me having to wait for them. They were waiting for me, you know, <laughs> because I was just having a great conversation, smoked a cigarette with her, um, you know, and we were just totally chit-chatting. She totally loved what she did. Um, and she was completely honest with it. She loved it. And um, it was her storefront. She owned it. So nobody owned her. So there are those people that like it, but more there's 90% at a minimum, right? That don't. And this was way before I saw that porn online, right? That freaked me out. This is when I thought that everyone that did porn must like it, right? This was like an idea I had. I never said that out loud, but this is, you know, what, <clears throat> what was there. And I remember the first time that I went to the, that, you know, when I went there and I was with a bunch of guys and they were like, yo, we're totally going to hit that. And then, nah, nah. and they, you know, they're just dudes. Most of them jarheads too. No offense, you know, but <laughs> lots of testosterone. I love them. Whatever. They get their thing on. Okay. But I didn't want to see it where they were going, what they were doing. And that's it. You know, I just, I kind of went there and just had a chat and, um, I, uh, I could tell you that, you know, thinking back on, on, on that period of time where I thought that all the porn 
movies and all the people that were sex workers were like the stuff in the 60s and 70s films where they had like this whole, you know, storyline of, you know, the naughty wife and, you know, the, the, the plumber coming and then the gardener and then they just all join in. And it was super hilarious and cringy and bad acting. I thought that they all enjoyed it. They were just acting and having sex because, oh, here's another thing that you guys need to know. You do know that at the majority of times when you're seeing sex scenes in movies, they're actually having sex. I am not joking. I can tell you that for a fact. Witnessed it with like super big stars. Hence why a lot of marriages break up after a while, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, human trafficking for sexual pleasure um, is a niche, I would say, in the sense that it's really hard to enslave someone uh, unless they come from an impoverished background. Usually they're teen, <coughs> teen runaways or teens that can't um, stick it through college. So they're like, you know, I'll just make some side dollars because I don't want to disappoint my parents um, and do this. Um, there's human trafficking victims that are very young, right, that are taken for another reason, but they can't use them because they're not the right blood type or their biological makeup isn't right. So they put them into another industry. So the majority are runaways, um, you know, defects for other purposes that they were snagged when they're children. When they're older, it's circumstance. And so, you know, I know we talk about, hey, get off your ass and work and you could do. And but the truth be said that in neighborhoods like the deep, deep part of East Cleveland or, you know, the projects of Woodside in New York, you know, they are in this position, right, where they feel compelled that this is the easy way out. I'll make some money. I mean, Cardi B even talked about it, that when she got out of high school in New York, she went and she was like, you know, stripping and stuff and saying, I'm going to become big and save money. And she made a ton of money. You know, it's, you know, for there, that is the majority, right? Because it's, it's almost everywhere. You can have a kid that comes out of a house, uh, a household where the parents are paying for tuition and then they're flunking out and they don't want to tell their parents. So they're like, Oh, guess what? You don't have to pay tuition next year. Uh, you know, I got a scholarship or they'll just lie or do something. And then they'll just, you know, go into sex work because it's easy money. And it's through sex work that they get caught into that web of not being able to get out because it's always just one more time, one more week, one more month. And then they get robbed, you know, because of where they live, right? These, these are big things. Then we get into, this is like average Joe, but then we get into Hollywood. Now that's crazy. These producers own you. And, uh, it's not just actors and singers. It's politicians too. You know, like sex trafficking. And it's like, do you guys remember that Kamala Harris was Montel's side hoe? Do you guys remember that? She was his side hoe. She wasn't his only side hoe. She was his secondary side hoe. If you remember, he was running with two chicks. One of them was her. Okay? It's a real problem. But then human enslavement in general, not just to do sexual favors, you can see from Hunter Biden. He was enslaved by his father. The minute Bo died, he had Hunter running front for everything. Hunter worked simply to do Joe Biden's bidding. Right? 
Joe Biden's bidding. He had nothing. That's why they would leave him alone when he'd get high or have sex and then shack up with his dead brother's wife, which is so weird. Like, dude, if my kid, one of my kids, you know, my son died and then my other son is like tapping that ass and shacking up with her and they're getting high, dude, they'd get an ass beating. I don't care how old they are. They would be ass beaten completely. Yet for some reason it was all okay for Joe Biden and Jill, of course. Right. Think about it. So weird. So bizarre. People don't see these things. Kamala fucking Harris. You know, when I hear about it, I'm like, don't you see she was fucking groomed? Think, who was Montel Williams? Who knows what Montel Williams did before he got on the TV? Do you guys know? He was a fucking linguist for the Navy. Ah, crypto linguist, linguist. Did you guys know that? Did you guys know that? He was Navy intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> stop, 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 stop. And he had not one, but two hoes next to him. One of them was Kamala Harris. So just, just to be clear, this isn't something new. Sex sells, but slavery is the key. Oh, they're trafficking children, human trafficking. Dude, they're enslaving them, trafficking. They're not just moving them around unless they're for sustenance reasons, like those pop-up things. I saw this weird advertisement from this company that says, oh my gosh, here's like some new fake meat that tastes just like human meat. And it's like, okay, first of all, why the fuck would you buy that? Second of all, how do you know what human tastes, how, how do you know what human meat tastes like? Like, that's so weird. Have you guys seen that? So unless you're for sustenance, you're not being trafficked from one place to another. You're being trafficked left, right, upside down, bottoms up, heels up, everything. And it's usually because they trap you in circumstance. This is kind of like the, the battered wife syndrome. <sighs> Hits a little bit. You know, when I was under litigation with the AG, I found myself in a very compromising position. I had forfeited all my ex and had nothing. I relied on him. I can tell you that that was probably the most vulnerable time I was, you know, in my whole life. It wasn't when I was faced with fire. Wasn't when I was, you know, given missions that I was supposed to not come out of. It wasn't any of that. It was that time that I felt vulnerable. Could I, cause I had zero control over anything in my life at that period of time. And I was kind of boxed into it because, you know, you, um, you, um, you know, you obviously want to protect your assets for your family. And I was like, if he's suing me, I'm just going to give everything to someone I'm married to so he can hold it for me. <laughs> right. Until this litigation blows over. Um, and you know, it was the most vulnerable time of my life. Um, because I had no control over everything or anything, not everything, anything. I was at the mercy of someone else who, you know, I thought had my back. Um, <clears throat> it seemed like it. But anyway, um, this is how it feels. I mean, I can, I haven't been trafficked. I haven't been enslaved, but I can say that I've been in the position where I've been vulnerable and dependent solely on someone else for just basic things. 
And so can you imagine being a runaway teenager or a child superstar or someone that they're grooming for political office or to be an operative to destroy offices? Because that's what Kamala did. But then, you know, some reason she became a G2. Um, you know, <coughs> all of them, Hunter Biden, for example, being the son of a vice president, right? Some of these things, you know, happen to people that you wouldn't expect. This is something that happens to a, a ton of people from different walks of life. It's just with a different shade of enslavement because it's literally enslavement. It's literally enslavement. And it's not just Hollywood stars and it's not just runaway teens and it's not just kidnapped kids and it's not just battered wives. It's not just, just, just. It can happen to anyone, right? A lot of these politicians that you see are slaves too. You don't do this. I'll take out, I'll take out your kids. You don't do this. I'll pull your fingernails off one by one. You don't do this. Everyone will know, Lindsey Graham, that you like boys. You know, stuff like that. You know, that's how it happens. Or, hey, you know, this is how they hold you. Slavery doesn't mean that you need to wear chains. They could just blackmail you into it too. If you don't succumb to it and get put in a position to be put in a box, right? They can hold you down in any other way. So... It's really important that people think about it that way. Now, you know, what's funny is, you know, obviously uh, we have uh, a lot of things going on. Uh, you know, Biden today uh, announced that uh, he's, uh, you know, they put on that OSHA thing, right? Oh my gosh, I wish I could tell you. They have this OSHA thing going on. Remember who wrote that OSHA thing, right guys? Who did I tell you wrote that OSHA thing from the Department of Labor? Who wrote it? Do you guys remember? I'm going to wait and see the chat. Who wrote? Yep, that bitch. That's right. The one on the Zoom calls. That's what's up. So now it begins. Not a coincidence that it's on November 4th. It's the bitch from the Zoom call that was calling for a federal coup. So here's where we get fun. Fun, fun, fun. That's all I could say for now. So... That's all I could say for now. <clears throat> In the meantime, states and AGs are attacking and filing lawsuits left and right. The states are and the AGs are against Biden. Uh, oh, I wish I could tell you. Can't. Take a listen to what Governor Ron DeSantis said. 100 pages. And so we're supposed to be a government of laws, not a government of men. Uh, this is 500 pages of a government of a bureaucracy a government that is being run by executive edict, not in accordance with the typical constitutional processes. And uh, the state of Florida is going to respond and we will combat uh, the OSHA rule. As soon as it's published, uh, the state of Florida will be joining with Georgia and Alabama, as well as private plaintiffs uh, to file suit. Uh, this is a rule that is not consistent with the Constitution and is not legally authorized through congressional statutes. Uh, there is no federal police power. Uh, the federal government can't just unilaterally impose medical policy under the guise of workplace regulation. And that is exactly what they're trying to do here. They don't provide any in instances why uh, the workplace is somehow different than anything else that's been done uh, with any of this. Uh, this is attempt to shoehorn policy uh, through the bureaucracy in a way that will um, uh, be difficult for some of these uh, individuals and private uh, parties uh, uh, to resist. I think it's interesting that this is being done under the guise of emergency power. 
this was announced two months ago, and it said this is an emergency and that this is grave danger is facing, then why did it take you two months to issue uh, the rule? And then, of course, the rule doesn't take effect until January, which is convenient because it's not going to, it'll minimize workforce disruptions over the holiday season, which we know we're likely to see anyways. And then this would only exacerbate that. Uh, so this is not consistent with a government of limited and enumerated powers. Uh, there is no general police power. There's no power to mandate on the American people from the federal government. People will sometimes point out uh, about state mandates and how those have been imposed through the years and have the constitutionality has been upheld. States clearly have a general police power. Whatever the wisdom of a particular mandate is, it's much different when the federal government is imposing that on tens of millions of Americans, particularly without any legislative sanction. At the end of the day, individuals should make informed choices about their own health care. They shouldn't be coerced into getting a jab. In this situation, you're going to have people that are going to have to make that decision. You know, do, you, do you get fired from your job or uh, do you do this if this may be something that, that you don't think uh, is something that you want to do? And, and just be clear with what OSHA is doing. They're clearly not doing science because they reject immunity through prior infection. They reject the Israel study and all the very strong studies that have come out that show people that have recovered from COVID have strong protection. Uh, they totally cast that aside and they make no accommodation or acknowledgement of that in any way, shape or form. Uh, but ultimately, people should be able to make these decisions. I don't think people want this decision yanked away from them. I don't think they want. OK, so, guys, let me just say this, because I want to end it with like a really cool video. I can't express you. OK, so we have the states and the AGs, the governors and the AGs going up against us. There's only going to be a few of them. Right. It doesn't matter because see some of the governors like DeWine that may jump in. Don't give a fuck because the private businesses are going to do it on their own. But now they're trying to pressure people that have a business of over 100 employees to do it. See, they're coming down like you don't have federal power. I think that's the wrong strategy. Damn, I can't talk about it yet. I will. I will. Wrong strategy. So. Um. They're going to change it, though, because OSHA said that later they're going to put it to even under 100. But anyway, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying, damn, you know, oh, I'm not going to say it. We're just going to go into that movie because I can't. Oh, I really want to because I'm like so excited because it was like, oh, you know, but I can't. But I'm just going to tell you their strategy is good from a, you know, look at me perspective. And boy, we're going to keep and retain control in our states, which is dangerous, too. Hear me out on this. We have governors like Gretchen and Cuomo. With their police powers, they fucked their state and they killed their citizens. Yes? So even though they're going to go the route of the federal government has no authority to impose, right? I think it's the not the one that's actually going to fix it. Because there's there's then then you're down to your state and you're fucked. Having said that, like, for example, in Ohio, this is a red state, complete except for Cleveland. And now in Cleveland, for some godforsaken reason, the charter, I told you to watch out for those city charters. I'm going to fuck Cleveland up later. You just watch. They approved that Black Lives Matter get to police the police. No joke. No joke that shit happened. So even though... 
even though this is a good stance and we need DeSantis to stay in fucking Florida. He does not need to run. Don't like people saying he's so cool. We need him for, you know, you know, president. Stop, stop. Don't feed that monster yet. Not, not, not saying DeSantis is a monster, that idea. No, he needs to stay in Florida. Okay. We need a state. He needs to stay in Florida. Now, I'm just telling you, this is great because you're going to see losers like AGs of North Dakota that love kids and shit like that jump in so they can look righteous because they want to get fucking reelected. Pay attention. This isn't how you're going to win. And I figured out, <laughs> I knew it was one and I didn't know which one and it's like, damn. But anyway, I'm just going to tell you, it's not the way you seal the deal and fix something. Because this is how you can fix shit. Fix shit, but trying to fix shit. I, that's all. Okay, so let's go. I'm going to show you a fun video. Most people have never heard of Colombia's Cerrejón coal mine. Located in northern Colombia, the Cerrejón mine produces millions of tons of coal each year. However, the area is equally known for being a critical site for scientists studying the prehistoric era. Its number one claim to fame is a nightmare-inducing prehistoric snake that was roughly the size of a bus. Today, we're going to take a look inside the coal mine that revealed proof of a prehistoric mega-snake who lived in a land of giant reptiles. But before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the Weird History channel and let us know in the comments below what other prehistoric topics you would like to hear about. Okay, get ready. You are about to get knocked down a link or two on the food chain. Far more than just a fossil trove, Cerrejón is one of the largest coal mines in the world. The pits stretch for 15 miles, making the mine larger than Washington, D.C., but less dirty. The mine employs about 10,000 people at any given time and produces more than 30 million tons of lung-blackening coal each year. While you'd probably assume this operation would be dangerous to the fossils and the scientific research, the truth is actually quite the contrary. It was this operation that actually first helped uncover the incredible fossil discoveries that make the place such a paradise for scientists. Way back in the early 2000s, Fabiani Herrera was a geology major at the Industrial University of Santander in Colombia. Well, on a school-related field trip to the Cerrejón coal mine, he made a startling discovery. Fabiani picked up a piece of rock and noticed impressions from a prehistoric leaf. He then examined other rocks in the vicinity and found they all exhibited the same impressions. He took samples to a scientist working for Colombia's oil company, Carlos Jaramillo. Stunned by the discovery, Jaramillo contacted the Smithsonian and requested a paleobiologist to help him inspect the mine. In 2003, that team, along with Herrera, would undertake their first fossil hunt in Cerrejón. To say Herrera discovered the fossils wouldn't exactly be accurate. The coal company that mined Cerrejón had known there were fossils in their pits for some time. At least as far back as 1990, a geologist named Henry Garcia had picked one up right off the ground and put it on display in his office. He didn't know what it really was, so he called it Petrified Branch. But it wasn't a branch. In 2003, a paleobiologist named Scott Wing snapped a picture of the so-called Petrified Branch and sent it over to a colleague, Jonathan Block. Block immediately recognized that the fossil wasn't a branch at all. It was the jawbone of an animal. That may not sound very important, but as a matter of fact, it was the first fossil from a land vertebrate ever found in tropical South America. Block got on a plane and headed to Colombia to see the fossil in person. 
He made it to the mine, but when he got there, no one could seem to find the key to the display case. The eager scientists couldn't wait. They broke the glass and confirmed Block's assessment. At Cerrejon, scientists discovered fossils from the largest snake ever known to have existed. The species grew up to 49 feet in length and could weigh two tons. Basically your worst nightmare. This monstrous life form, which they named Titanoboa, looked like a cross between an anaconda and a boa constrictor, but much, much larger and much, much, much scarier. Yes, Ice Cube, they do make snakes out there this big. Needless to say, it would have dominated the tropical swamp in which it lived. As an apex predator, Titanoboa would have hunted enormous animals like crocodiles and large turtles. Anyway, if the thought of a Titanoboa puckers your bum, think about the fact that they didn't just find one snake at that Colombian coal mine. They found nearly 30. Each one measured at least 42 feet long. I'm glad we live in the era we live in. Titanoboa was in plain sight at the coal mine, but it wasn't discovered immediately. When the team of paleontologists first began collecting fossils in 2003, they were quickly overwhelmed by the sheer number of items. Because of their large size, one group of discoveries was mislabeled as prehistoric crocodile vertebrae. Thanks to the mistake, it wouldn't actually be until 2007 that scientists realized the parts actually belonged to a snake. Jonathan Block blamed himself for the error. He had experience with snake vertebrae, but nothing anything even close to that large. The scientists said the confusing experience was like finding an animal skull the size of a rhinoceros and then discovering it belonged to a really big mouse. As if being the largest snake in history wasn't scary enough, Titanoboa actually ranks as one of the largest animals in history, period. It could grow up to about 50 feet, which, for reference, is about as long as a school bus. In the weight department, Titanoboa could reach as much as 2,500 pounds. Oh, that's a heavy snake. Titanoboa's size also immediately helped the scientists deduce some valuable contextual information. First, as a cold-blooded reptile, the snake would have required an extremely warm climate to support its massive size. Researchers estimated that the average temperature in Titanoboa's habitat probably exceeded 90 degrees Fahrenheit, helpful evidence that shed new light on prehistoric climates. Cerrejon is rich and cool today, but 60 million-ish years ago, the environment was completely different. Back then, the land before time would have been covered by a swampy jungle that received almost twice as much rainfall. Okay, I'm seeing something from people. Um, well, that's what's going to happen when there's more nitrogen. No, wrong. That's what's going to happen when there's less nitrogen. Less nitrogen. You remove nitrogen. We have a 72% nitrogen concentration in our atmosphere. Removing nitrogen removing it it's not the carbon because it's like two percent right we have 20 percent oxygen nitrogen less nitrogen more oxygen think oh and by the way it was like super hot back then they had global warming huh global warming because there was less nitrogen and more fucking oxygen this is why a brontosaurus right now could not survive on Earth, one, because the gravity it would crush under its own weight, and two, there's very little oxygen in the atmosphere to be able to sustain gigantic organisms. Science. 
fall as the Amazon rainforest receives today. The temperature would have also been higher, with averages closer to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. This mega-snake-infested swamp would also be replete with palm trees that grew from muddy floodplains, surrounded by cloudy rivers. The environment would be the perfect home sweet home for a 50-foot-long, two-ton snake. Serihone is still an active coal mine, but it's also still one of the most important places in the world when it comes to finding fossil deposits. According to Carlos Jaramillo, Serihone is one of the best and probably the only window on a complete ancient tropical ecosystem anywhere in the world. The coal mine is exceptional because it captures the world of 60 million years ago better than any other known location. The area is rich in fossils of both plants and animals, most of which can't be found anywhere else in the tropics. So let's say you're not afraid of a 50-foot snake that weighs two tons. Would the Serihone mine of 60 million years ago be a place you might want to visit? Well, before you book your trip on Expedia, know that the coal mine also contained multiple species of prehistoric crocodiles. One of those massive creatures was Anthrocosuchus balrogus, a 16-foot-long, 900-pound killing machine that takes its name from a fictional creature in J.R.R. Tolkien's book, Lord of the Rings. Remember that thing that was after them when Gandalf said, Run, you fools! That's a balrog. Jonathan Block explained that much like Tolkien's Balrog, Anthrocosuchus Balrogus was awakened from deep within a mine after 60 million years trapped within the rocks of tropical South America. Scientists at Serihone not only discovered multiple new species of prehistoric crocodile, they also found evidence that explains how some animals survived mass extinctions. For example, some crocodiles were able to survive the same conditions that precipitated the decline of dinosaurs about 65 million years ago. The researchers believe an animal like the Balrogus would have swam across the Atlantic from Africa to South America, where it adapted to a new freshwater environment. According to scholar Alex Hastings, the fossils in the mine also demonstrate that contrary to the popular misconception that crocodiles have remained virtually unchanged for the last 250 million years, they've actually changed quite extensively, and even just the past 60 million, they've been busy. Also discovered at Serihone was a species of prehistoric turtle that had a shell at least five feet wide. The Gamera-esque creature was named Puentemis Mushaya Sciences, named after the coal mine's La Puente Pit. Not only was this fellow significantly bigger than any modern turtle, it also had an unusual circular shell. Scientists believe this circular shell was more than just a fashion choice. It gave the turtle an advantage. The flat round shell allowed the animal to swim with little water resistance. And on land, it would have soaked up heat to keep the turtle moving. The shell may have also protected the turtle from predators like Titanoboa. Even the biggest snake in history likely wouldn't have been able to fit the wide, flat shell into its mouth. The exposed mines in Serihone revealed a field of enormous turtle shells. Kind of like a level in Super Mario Brothers. According to Fabiani Herrera, some were even more than five feet wide, implying a turtle that would have weighed somewhere in the vicinity of 300 pounds. These massive turtles would have been hunted by those giant prehistoric crocodiles we discussed previously. There always has to be a bully. One species of croc found at Serihone even had jaws large enough to let it bite one and a half feet into the turtle's shells. The turtles also occasionally fell prey to Titanoboa, which isn't too surprising since it was the Godzilla of snakes. The ridge that makes up Serihone's coal deposit is estimated to be about 60 million years old. 
and it may shed light on the meteorite that struck the Yucatan Peninsula, creating an environmental crisis that wiped out the dinosaurs. Clues from Sarah Hone suggest that creatures like Titanoboa thrived once the dinosaurs were gone, while other animals, like the prehistoric crocodiles who survived, had a harder time adapting to changes. The coal mining operation at Cerrejon continues to extract over 30 million tons of coal from the ground every year. The work also helps uncover new fossils. Some of the pits at the mine plunge over 300 feet down into the earth, which is about how far you have to dig to reach the world of 60 million years ago. Though their purposes are very different, the miners' tools make it much easier for the scientists to make critical discoveries. Carlos Aramillo pointed out that every time the miners closed up one pit, they'd open another one, and the scientists would then always find new things. So what do you think? How long would you survive in a Titanoboa-filled swamp? Let us know in the comments below, and while you're at it, check out some of these other videos from Our Weird History. So interesting. Weird History is a lot of fun. I actually really like um, his covers in, uh, you know, history that's odd because nobody likes to talk about it. But just remember that. Um, again, nitrogen decrease increases oxygen. And that is how gravity is actually calculated. I just wanted to make that clear. Um, I actually did write a paper, but I've never submitted it to show that. But um, I guess that's the end of our show for today. I think I should, oh, where is it? I have like this amazing cover that I wanted to play for you guys. <laughs> that's so, um, so perfect. And I'm trying to see if I have it here. Let me just, um, yep, there it is. Okay, here we go. I hope you guys enjoy this. God bless. I will see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place. Toy boy named Troy used to live in Detroit. Big dope money dealer, he was getting some coins. Was a shooter with the law, but he lived in a palace. Bought me Alexander McQueen, he was keeping me stylish. And now that's real, real, real. Gone in my purse, yeah, I came for the kill. Who wanna go first? I had him pushing daffodils. I'm high as hell, I only took a half a pill. Ain't that some dumb shit? By the way, what do you say? You can tell I'm missing no meal. Skim through with an automobile, and I'm hitting with the girls, and he's telling me to chill. By the way, what do you say? You can tell I'm missing no meals. Came through with his automobile, and I'm hitting with the girls, and he's telling me to chill. Ooh, ooh, my anaconda don't, 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 and ooh, ooh, my anaconda don't. This dude named Michael used to buy motorcycle His was bigger than the tower, I ain't talking but Eiffel Big country ass, yeah, let me play with his rifle And I put his ass to sleep, so he's calling me Nyko And now that's real, real, real Gone in my purse, yeah, I came for the kill who wanna go first? He had me pushing that for two. I'm high as hell, I only took a half a pill. 
He does some dumb shit By the way, what he say? You can tell I'm missing on me, oh Scheme through with his automobile I'm hitting with the girls and he's telling me to chill By the way, what he say? You can tell I'm missing on me, oh Scheme through with his automobile I'm hitting with the girls and he's telling me to chill Ooh